As I said, we are looking at Mark chapter 9, verse 33 to verse 37. And the outline should say, true greatness. That's what it should say uh, in front of you. Now, the singer, the pop singer Madonna, uh, recently criticized the web platform Instagram, right? Uh, What's wrong with Instagram? Well, according to Madonna, Instagram is promoting a culture of self-glorification that is leaving people feeling miserable. Of course, it's quite interesting because Madonna has uh, 14 million followers on Instagram, but, (laughs) but she still has a problem with it. She said... You know, using Instagram makes you start comparing yourself to other people. Should I be like them? Should I talk like them? Should I look like them? Will, if I did that, would that make me more popular or more successful in life? Uh, and she went on to say, people have become slaves to winning the approval of others. As I thought about Madonna and the other person is Selena Gomez, who has 145 million followers on Instagram, and she's also raising the same concerns. As I thought about their comments, I realized that they are wrestling with a tension that is within all human beings, within all of us who are sat here this morning. No one wants to be average. I think we can all agree on that, right? We all want to be better than the person sitting next to us. We are all natural-born self-worshippers. And from the youngest age, we strive to be the best, the most powerful, the best known, and the most loved. And we must be honest, as I thought about this, I thought, is it all bad really to be like that? I realized that actually, yes, it is bad, but we must be honest that this inner desire to be better than people around us has at times, at times, produced some good in the world. Many great accomplishments in politics, uh, sports, entertainment, science, and technology have come through people, right, who wanted to be the best, who wanted to be great in life. And yet, as we think about some of the good that comes from that, we realize that, as Madonna reminds us, that in the end, living for ourselves, living to promote ourselves, uh, is not healthy in the long term. To live, to be praised and honored by others, to want to be the greatest, is not going to be healthy for us in the long term. A life, you see, that revolves around promoting yourself, in the end, only makes you a slave of other people. The irony of celebrities, of course, as I look at them, is that they uh, spend quite a little bit of time running away from the paparazzi, don't they? They are running away, usually they do that on purpose so the paparazzi can capture them. But the thing is that they look free at one level, like, you know, but on the other hand, as you look at them running away, uh, you look at them looking to the, to the, to the, to the crowd for, for, for to be photographed, you realize that they're actually a slave of the fans. They must dress in a certain way. They must act in a certain way to please those. They are actually slaves, even though they feel that they are free. That's what a life of pursuing greatness does to us. It, is, it enslaves us to other people. We care more about what they think <laughs> than anything else, than what we may even think. And of course, it distances us from people, doesn't it? Uh, all of us here, uh, we may be, well, not all of us, uh, some of us may be fascinated by the um, shameless self promotion of the Kardashians, isn't it? We may find that fascinating. But I doubt many of us here want to be their friends in real life. They, are, they, might, they might be interesting to, to watch. 
Uh, but I don't think we really want to be their friends, would we? Uh, no one wants to be around people who are so drunk in their own glory. Uh, we want to be around people who live for others, uh, who embody self-sacrifice. I was watching Dunkirk, the film, not long ago. And why do we love Dunkirk, the film? Because it embodies the ideals, the British ideals, of self-sacrifice. Putting your, you know, the small person taking on the great and going against the odd. Not for your own glory, but for others. There's a wonderful clip in Dunkirk where this guy just flies over the, um, what are they called, the planes? Spitfires, well, Spitfires, right? And he flies it over, and he's just going into the gem, into the German line. He no, he's not coming back, and so he blows up his plane and he hands himself over to them. But he's done the job. That's what makes Dunkirk like amazing. We're like, yeah, these are the people we want, isn't it? When we go and vote for politicians, do we want politicians who throw others under the bus just for their own career? No, we don't want that, do we? I mean, they talk about that, I'm not picking on anyone. But, you know, they, people don't want politicians who live for themselves. So, in all of us, we realize here, don't we, that it is good to be selfless. And so, we have a problem here, don't we? We have this inbuilt desire to be great for ourselves, it's in us, and yet we know that is not really how we should live. Why do we have this tension in us? Well, this tension is a legacy of our rebellion in the Garden of Eden. You see, God created us with the potential to grow and to be better than we are. But the reason God gave us that capacity to grow in greatness, you know, Adam was to keep, you know, dominate the earth, to grow in greatness, so to speak. But the reason God gave us that capacity was not so that Adam and all his descendants could promote themselves, but rather so that we could, by living like that, growing greatness, we could promote the glory of God alone. We were created to live for the glory of God. To grow in greatness, but to do it for the glory of God. But you know the story from Genesis, don't you? We swapped living for the glory of God and started living for our own greatness. That was the temptation of the serpent. You will be like God. We wanted to be as great as God for ourselves, to be independent of God. And since the Garden of Eden, we have been pursuing greatness, yes, but independent of God. And some of us are doing that. We pursue things in life independent of God. That's sin, isn't it? Every time we sin, we're pursuing our own greatness independent of God. And of course, we are all sinners. And yet we know that no matter how much we pursue our self-glory, it will never satisfy us. Madonna tells us that. Selena Gomez tells us that. You know that. You don't need them to tell you that. And the reason it's like that is because we only find true greatness when we abandon living for our own glory and start living to promote the glory of God by serving others. But the thing is that this is not something we can do on our own. You can't just get up and abandon living for yourself. You don't even want to at one level, right? So abandoning living for yourself must come from God. We can't even force God to make us like that. Right? God has to do it on his own. We need God to reach out to us 
and uh, I guess do what Donald Trump wants, 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 wants the U.S. to be, to be great again. For, for, it's God who can make us great again. We can make ourselves great again. We can go back to Eden, to a life of true greatness. We need God to reach out to us. And the good news of the Bible is that God has come to be with us in the person of Jesus. Through Christ, you see, we can be truly great as God intended. So my goal this morning is to encourage all of us here to abandon self-glory, right? And turn to God for true greatness that he offers us in Jesus. To do that, we need to understand what true greatness is, and we also need to understand a bit about ourselves, our pursuit of self-glory and why that is bad. So to help you understand all of these things, uh, please turn with me to Mark chapter 9, and we'll look at verse 33 to verse 37. And there are three important truths I just want to share briefly uh, to you from this outline. The first truth I want us to see here is that everyone wants to be the greatest, as I've said. Everyone wants to be the greatest, and we'll see it here. You, you, you remember, when I say everyone, not just non-believers. Even believers want to be the greatest. Uh, you remember that Jesus and disciples have been on the road from Mount Amon, right? They're heading south, we saw that last Sunday morning, to their ministry now, we are seeing, heading south to their ministry headquarters in Capernaum. So, Mount Amon is over there, northeast Galilee, that's where they're coming. And he's doing this because this is the last time he's going to pass through his ministry headquarters in Capernaum, where he's been based, where Peter and... Uh, and others come from, and he's going to go all the way down to um, Jerusalem in Judea, right? Uh, he's going to go to Jerusalem to die for us uh, on the cross and rise for our justification. So, as they're coming down now, as they're traveling, Jesus overhears the disciples trading verbal punches with one another about who's going to be Jesus' number two, who's going to be the greatest among them. And Jesus, is like a you know, patient dad or patient parent, uh, is hearing his children squabble about this. Uh, but he doesn't say anything, he just hears. Uh, but as soon as they arrive, uh, we think, at Peter's house in Capernaum, uh, he calls them in for a chat. He's, let's read about that in verse 33 to verse 34. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way, right? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. We can picture the twelve looking down in shame as Jesus is speaking to them, like siblings who have just been caught by mom fighting together, right? Uh, about a toy that doesn't belong to them. It's like, they're just down there. As Jesus speaks to them, I just, I just ask them, what have you been talking about. None of them wants to talk. And the reason they are quiet is because they know deep down they know that they are talking about the wrong topic and they are doing it the wrong way. Right? They are crossing swords with each other here. Right? The disciples are arguing about among themselves over the seats in Jesus' covenant. You know, who's going to be VP when power changes hands to Jesus? That's the sort of discussion they're having. They kept silent, we are told in verse 4, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. It seems the more we think about what's going on here, we realize that the disciples are still clinging to the old ideas, old definitions about who the Messiah, what the Messiah is meant to be like. 
They are not thinking of the cross. Remember verse 32 tells us that. They are not thinking, verse 30 to 32, they are not thinking about the cross, right? They, they, they expect Jesus to be crowned king still in Jerusalem. And they are wondering what positions they might take when Jesus uh, assumes power, as it were. We are learning that they still have not left the cross. They still not love the cross and they still are not living, prepared to leave the cross. Now, it is bad enough that they have Jesus all wrong, right? It is bad enough. I think for me what is shocking is that they seem to be behaving worse than the contestants on, the, on Alan Sugar's Apprentice. You know, if you watch The Apprentice, right? The contestants there, they tear into one another, don't they? They tear into one another. Why do they do that? They do that to win sour and sugar. Oh, look, sugar, as he calls himself now. Or perhaps he was really maybe God. As, uh, was, they, I'm sure he's a Lord. So the Lord sugar, well, there's only one Lord, but I'm digressing. They, they, they tear into one another, don't they? Because they want to win his affection, don't they? They want to be his apprentice or his business partner, as he now calls it. That's not what the disciples are doing here. Have you noticed? They're not trying to win Jesus' affection. This is about putting the other guy down to discourage him. And I thought about it, I thought, the disciples are acting like boxers do before they fight. Have you seen on, in television when boxers are about to fight? They like to taunt each other, isn't it? They intimidate each other. And the reason they do that is because they want the other guy to give up. They're like, don't bother me. I'm better than you, just give up. They want the person to lose even before they step in the fight. Boxing is the only sport I've seen that happen. I don't think it was happening at Wimbledon. So <laughs> they, they normally respect one another. But in boxing, it's about you know, taunting the other guy so that they can give up the fight before they step in. And that's what the disciples are doing. They're not asking Jesus, Jesus, who do you want to be number two? They're like, Peter, get behind. You know, stop, stop acting like number two. Uh, you can't be, you know, you're nobody. So that kind of, that's the kind of thing they're having here. And, and, and as we think about the disciples, what's going on there in verse 33 to 34, we realize that, yes, Mark chapter 1, verse 16 to 20, they left their nets and followed Jesus. But now, as we look at this, we're raising questions, aren't we? They've done that. But why have they done that, right? It looks like it's partly to follow Jesus, and they've been with him through thick and thin so far. But we're also realizing that they're doing that because they want to be great in the eyes of the world. They want people to adore and follow them. Not just Jesus, but them. And the sad truth that I thought about is that we are not different. You and I are not different. Everyone wants to be adored and worshipped. You want to be adored and worshipped by your friends. You want to be great. And this is the case whether you're truly converted or you're not, whether you truly follow Jesus or you don't. And when you go for interviews, don't you find yourself exaggerating just how much that project was due to your own genius rather than teamwork, right? You, you attempted to do that. But when you're writing that CV, aren't you just trying to exaggerate a little bit just how much you have, you have achieved in this world that they didn't know that when you were young, you know, you won a chess championship or something. You always want to put out that out there, isn't it? To stand out. You see, when your child is doing well in school, are you not just bursting to slip in somehow to another parent? Little Johnny has done it again. But you just want to tell them that, right? 
You know, when you meet people, do you know, are you not keen to remind them that you are not just a housewife? You want to remind them, no, I have a great career ahead of me. And I deserve respect for that. We are like that, aren't we? This is who we are. And we can think of many lists where we are seeking to project ourselves as great and to pursue greatness. And in fact, if things are not going well in our, in our careers or other things that we regard as define our greatness, um, our, our self-esteem goes as well. You know, I read a biography many years ago by Colin Powell, and he made a very good point that do not become so invested in your position uh, that when your position goes, your, e- your ego goes with it. And I thought that was great advice. And I realized that the reason he's advising that, Colin Powell, was because, of course, many of us are like that. We live for self-glory and invest ourselves in these things. And of course, we prioritize those things in our life. That's why we define church around the other things that we think would make us great. Right? If we thought going, being in church, loving and worshiping God would make us truly great, of course, God would be a number one priority. But it's not, because other things are what defines us. Do you recognize this, or is this just me? Uh, do, do you recognize this truth that you, like everyone else, want to be the greatest? Do you accept that you want to be the greatest for yourself? Well, if you do, then the second truth here is for you. Because the second truth we learn here is that true greatness is giving glory away. So everyone wants to be the greatest, but the Bible shows us that actually what we want, we think of as greatness is not greatness at all. True greatness is giving glory away for Jesus. Is giving the glory away to other people for Jesus. You see, everyone lives to promote themselves, right? Except Jesus. Jesus has left the glory of heaven in order to share his heavenly glory with you. And this is the essence of his new kingdom, isn't it? It's about the, the good news of Jesus is about a king who comes to serve, not to be served. That is true greatness, according to God. And it's a greatness that Jesus desires for us. Let's rejoin Jesus with the disciples in verse 35. So, they are all silent, we read, but they kept silent. For on the way they had argued one another about who was the greatest. So what Jesus does is they are all silent, he doesn't have a go at him. What he simply does is he sits down. Now, he's taking a position of authority. Let's read verse 35. And he sat down. And called the twelve. Guys, come over here. And he said to them, If any would be first, you want to be great, right? Then he must be last of all and servant of all. I just want you to notice here that Jesus is not saying that everyone in the kingdom has the same rank and position. Yeah, we are going to, you know, heaven and new earth, and everybody, I'm sure, will, well, we will enjoy ourselves. It will be wonderful in heaven, right? But Jesus is clear that there is small and great even in heaven. And we know that, don't we? Because there are archangels and angels. There is Abraham there. Right? There are are elders around the throne of God and there are just others. Right? So even in the kingdom of God, this concept of greatness 
exist. But why Jesus does here, do you see, is he turns the definition of greatness upside down. He turns what we think being great upside down. He says, in the world, being great means you are saved. Others come to save you, right? But in the kingdom of God, those who are great live to serve others. And that is what true greatness is. I made a point at our Friday Bible study that it's so vital we get that. As we're discussing brotherly love. I just want to repeat it. It's so important you understand this here. Because you see, some of us think what Jesus is saying is, be a servant now, right? Yep. Be humble here. And then, in the new world, in the new heaven, the new earth, right? You no longer have to be like that. Everybody now will serve you, right? So this servant thing we do, right? It's just an investment. We invest in Jesus now. We are humble. We are serving others. But when we get to heaven, it will be their turn to serve us. We'll be sitting on the thrones with Jesus and we'll be enjoying true power which we've always wanted, right? That's how many Christians think. But Jesus is saying it's not like that. He's saying, look at that again. If anyone will be first, verse 35, he must be last of all and servant of all. Jesus is saying, look, in the kingdom of God, greatness is servanthood. It is a world where presidents and kings sweep the streets of heaven. It's completely upside down. It redefines the whole thing. He's saying, look, do you want to be great? He's asking us. Well, if you are desiring to be great in the kingdom of God, you are not after self-glory. Not now, not forever. You are seeking a place that will continue to serve others for all eternity. And I think all of us sat here this morning need to let this sink in. To choose to be great in Christ forever is to choose to be a nobody forever. (coughs) Greatness in Christ is servanthood. Jesus desperately wants us to understand this. And he wants us to let this sink in. And to ask ourselves, is this what I really want? Right? And that is why he decides to give them and us a visual illustration. Let's read verse 36 to verse 37. This is a wonderful illustration. So, a visual illustration. And Jesus took a child, verse 36, and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Let's just pause there. This is difficult for us to grasp what's going on here. And the reason it's difficult to grasp is that in our society, children are gods, right? We prize our children highly. And sadly, we often value them, as I said, ahead of God. But in ancient Israel, it was the opposite. In Judaism, children and women, I have to say wives, were accessories of their father. In fact, in Judaism, girls, in in, in ancient Israel, girls under the age of 12 could even be sold off as slaves by their fathers. They were a property of their parents. So we might say that when, when Jesus takes this child in his arms, 
is using this child as a visual definition of what it truly means to be last in society. When the disciples, when Jesus thinks of a list, compiles a list of nobodies in society, you know, he would have a leper there, he would have children there, he would have, you know, in society, right? Women there, because at that time, nobody is defined by society, right? And Jesus is picking the best illustrations, you know, pastors do this and preachers, and he's come up with this one, to be a child. And I imagine he's there in Peter's house, right? And he gets Peter's child, isn't it? This must be Peter's child, Right? And he gets his child, and he brings, look at what he just does here. First of all, he brings a child in the midst. Did you notice that? He put him at the center. And then he takes his child in his arms, and then he said to them, look, serve him like I'm doing. That's true greatness. Serve the weakest. Live for service. Then you're growing in greatness. Jesus is saying true greatness is abandoning that desire to live for yourselves and now living to give the, your glory away to others. You're just like giving it away. No, we were reading one of the passages in scripture on Thursday and we read there, isn't it? I'll do one another with honor. That's what Jesus said. Just give glory away to others. Lift them up, lift them up and become low and low and low. And that is what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. And we know Jesus means this not only because he's speaking it here, but because Jesus embodies this life. He has come as God's doormat. Mark 10, verse 42 to 45. Let's just read that. We'll come and look at this passage in a couple of weeks' time. Mark 10, verse 42 to 45. We'll come to this topic again, by the way, because it's there. It says this, Mark 10, 42, 45. And Jesus called them to him. This is another another lesson in, uh, on greatness. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. Notice that, slave here. Not just seven. Verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, if you want to know what it means to be great, then look at me there, dying on the cross for you. And when we look at Jesus dying on the cross there, what do we see? Well, we see God on a mission, on a holy mission, to rescue you, isn't it? He has willingly entered our low human condition. He has allowed himself to be killed by sinners for you, to, to, to save you from sin. He has left behind all the privileges. He could have stopped it at any time. He could have used any, all of his, any of his glory to stop him being killed on the cross. But he doesn't. He embraces the cross so that he wants to buy you back. Who's nothing? He wants not only to buy you back and bring you into his kingdom. He wants to spend all of eternity serving you. Waiting your tables as it were. Because even now as Jesus has ascended to heaven. He's serving you. Every day he intercedes for you. Every day he's thinking of you. Jesus serves more in heaven now than he's ever served. When he was here on earth he could just literally serve those around him. But now... 
He's praying for you all of us daily. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to be in our hearts. That is true greatness. He watches over you. To care. He cares for you. That is the greatness of the kingdom. So the question for you is this. It's very simple. This is our first question, isn't it? Do you want this greatness? Right? Do you want this greatness or not? Some of us might say, no thanks. Right? Do you want this, this true greatness? Because it is true greatness. Or do you want to keep chasing the greatness of this world that never lasts? If you want to be truly great in Jesus, then you must abandon living for yourself and start living for the glory of God by serving others through Jesus. And this can only happen not by you trying to do these things, actually, oddly enough. It starts with you truly surrendering your life, your heart, to Jesus. You must acknowledge your rebellion against God and ask God to forgive you of your sin. Tell God that you have been living your own way. Like Frank Sinatra, you, you have been doing it your way. You now want to repent of living your own way. And you genuinely want to give God your heart. Based on the death of Jesus for you on the cross. You must be truly be born again. You see, if you surrender your whole heart to God, He will forgive you your sin. And he will give you a new heart. And you will start glow, growing even now, regardless of your age. I say, if you're young, start now, beloved. Surrender to God now while you're young. Repent and turn to God, accept him. I came to Christ when I was the age of 13. So repent, come to him, surrender to him, and get baptized. Not that he serves you, but he proclaims that you have now chosen to live for him and him alone. And when you choose that life of true greatness, well, it's a life that brings lasting fulfillment. It sounds terrible, doesn't it? Being a dormant forever. But remember, you are a dormant in the kingdom of heaven, and you've been given, well, lots of doors to be a dormant at. <laughs> My point is, that is glory from God's perspective. He looks upon you with love. And here is perhaps you're wondering, why should I surrender? Well, he, and that brings us to the final point. Here, true surrender to Jesus brings lasting fulfillment because giving glory away glorifies God. You see, from the world's perspective, what I'm suggesting here is madness. No one would want to be a Christian. But from God's vantage point, it's wonderful. Because as we give glory away, it glorifies God. We worship God. And that's our final point here, isn't it? Point number three, giving glory away glorifies God. The first point is everyone wants to be the greatest, but we know that it's foolish. Because true greatness is giving glory away. Why would we want to do it? Well, giving glory away, point number three, glorifies God. You see, there are many people, this is an important point to understand, right? There are many people who live to serve others. Uh, many of them. You don't have to be a Christian to serve others. But their motivation is always for their own glory. They want people to love them for them. Why else would somebody who doesn't believe in, 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 in Jesus serve others? It is always down to the fact that it's good for them. 
But you see, true greatness is a response for us, not because necessarily it is good for us, but true greatness is a response based on what Jesus has done for us. Uh, We serve because God has saved us, right? We give glory away because it honors God to do that. That's what should motivate our service. We should do things for His glory. And we see that in verse 37. Let's look at verse 37, what Jesus says. He says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives what? Me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. Jesus is saying, by serving others, because we want to honor Jesus, we are giving glory to God. Right? We are truly living a great life that glorifies God. Just as Jesus lived to glorify God. Notice what he says. He receives me, not me, but him who sent me. Jesus is still speaking as a servant. He says, glory for me is to give glory to the Father. And if you're a true follower of mine, as you give glory away, you are giving me glory, and by extension, giving my Father glory. And, and, and if you're a true follower of Jesus, this is a calling that God has placed on your life. He wants you to live in a way that glorifies God. And I think that means two things for us here. The implication now, an application for us, is two things. First of all, if you're a true follower of Jesus, this passage is calling on you to begin right now to confess that you are stealing glory from God. By you living for yourself, you're stealing glory that belongs to God alone. And that needs to cut you to the heart. That needs to to be something that you recognize and immediately come before God in true repentance. Confess, beloved, that you always like to come across like you have it all together because you want to be worshipped by other people rather than God. Confess that sometimes you keep quiet about calling out sin in people around you in the life of the church because you want to be liked by them Rather than God. You prefer the glory of man rather than the glory of God. Confess that before him. He knows that sin already. Confess that you are often obsessed with how you look and want people to notice you because you are not content with the love of God for you. Confess that. Confess that you get upset when people point out your sin, especially spouses, Because your image before them matters more than the holiness of God. Confess that it's not easy to correct you. Confess that your wife finds it harder to point out areas where you need to repent. That she has to think about it carefully before she talks to you about it. Why does she have to do that when she's doing that? Because you prefer your own glory rather than the glory of God. Confess that sometimes serving other people followers of Jesus, is a burden to you. Why do we pretend like it's not? Let us confess our sin before God. Let us accept that we find it burdensome, sometimes serving people of God. And the reason we do that is because we devalue the church of God. The church of God is small in our eyes. Confess that you don't want to come on a Saturday to sweep up this church. You'd rather just come in on Sunday morning 
and it's all clean. Confess that. Confess that the reason for that is because you've got better things to do for yourself than doing it for God. I confess that. And I think we should, you should as well. Come before Jesus. You know areas where you live for your self-glory. Come before Jesus. Tell him your sins. Because he already knows about it. And the good news is that he died for your self-glory. He died to redeem you from your self-glory. And he knows that you are work in progress until you see him face to face. So, why would I want to hold on to my sin? I want to admit it, and I want to bring it before God, and I want to ask him to change me. And if you're a true follower of Jesus, you've got to do that. So, the first thing this demands from us is that we should confess where we're stealing glory from God. Secondly, there are those here who are living out this true greatness, Right? We are living out true greatness of God. And you are quietly saving him without applause. And yet you know there are moments when you feel tired in serving Christ. Well, certainly I do. There are moments when we feel that it's all just a burden. And not because, as I said, we, 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 we're tired of God. It's just that life gets tired on us. Right? In those moments, you feel tempted to be self-focused. There are moments when you think to yourself, Lord, I love you, but I wish I can be saved for once. I want to save you, but I wish... When am I going to be saved? We all have feelings like that. If you have tried to live for God, is that you this morning? Well, Jesus is saying, you are never beloved. This is the comfort of this passage. You are never more like him than when you are serving. Don't look around. And I want to encourage moms, especially, you know, those of you working hard in the home. Like we, you're working very hard. You're giving your whole life out for the children continuously. For the glory of God. And it can get tiresome in the home. When am I, when's the husband going to give me a pat on the back? When am I going to be pampered? And that gets tiresome. You, you, you know you're doing it for the Lord, but it just gets tired. Jesus is reminding you, well, husbands I'm sure as well. Jesus is reminding you that you are never more like him than when you are being a dormant. So don't look around you. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking at him there on the cross. Keep looking at him, true greatness there. And you know if he served you, you want to be like him, don't you? Paul's desire was to somehow share in the death of Christ. And so as you think of Christ, you know there is no one more glorious, more beautiful than Jesus. It is okay to be a doormat for him. In fact, it is more than okay. It is wonderful to be a doormat for him. To become like him. And you know deep down you desire to grow to be like him. To see him face to face. You know that, beloved, that the day is coming when you see him and he will say to you, Welcome home, good and faithful servant. That's what I live for, for that welcome from my, my Lord. Welcome home, 
good and faithful servant. Here is more, as it were, streets to sweep in heaven. Not that they need sweeping. Right? No, for my glory, but for his. You know, when, when we see, when, when we, in the new heaven and the new earth, when God gives us those crowns, yes, they are there, right? But what are we going to be doing with them? We're going to be taking them off and laying them at his feet. We'll be like, we're not worthy to wear this when we see what the Lamb has accomplished for us. So my encouragement for you this morning is, if you are trying to live for the glory of God and you are feeling tired, Beloved, don't wallow back into self-glory. Keep pursuing true greatness that last we eternity. Live to serve his people for the glory of God. And ask others around how you can serve radically for him in this area. There is always more to do for the glory of God. And allow yourself to be used by God, not for yourself, but for his glory. Amen.